I'm not going to talk to you very long, but I want to talk to you about hope. And I think it's one of the, it's one of the most desperate needs that our world has today is, is hope. We, we live in a, in a world of despair. And so I'm going to talk about very shortly from uh, despair to hope. And we're going to come to Mark chapter 16 in just a minute. But let me give you the big idea here. We live in a season of great despair and hopelessness. Now, I'm not talking about the church, I'm not talking about us, but the world that we live in is a world of great despair and hopelessness. Most of our younger generation, which would be now our, our grandkids are getting married and, and one day they will have children and I think each generation worries more about what's gonna happen to our kids. Our, we look at our school system, we look at our government, we look at the conditions of our world, what's going to happen to our kids. We still want to have kids, we still want to enjoy having the children, the benefits that God gives to us in having children, but we worry more about it. Hopelessness is one of the chronic diseases of our day. But thankfully, there is hope for you and me in the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know how you define hope. It would be interesting just to have a little discussion here, but how you define hope. But I look it up, just a regular definition in the dictionary. It's a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. And we could have hope that we're going to pass our exams if you're a kid in school, or hope that I get a raise this year, hope I get a Christmas bonus, or hope that my kids come to see me at Christmas time. Could be hope for healing, that you're, you're experiencing something in your body, you have a hope for healing. It could be a hope that one day I'll get married, one day I'll have children, one day I hope my children will all serve God. Uh, hope for peace in my life, maybe a hope, something to do with your, your job that you have. I, I wrote down a list of things that I see, and I think each one of our lists might be a little bit different. What are, the, what are the major fears that we have in, in our world today? If you were to talk to your friends, if you were to talk to your coworkers, your fellow students, what would be the, the number one fears that we have? And I wrote a list of several things, and then I checked out with Google to see what Google had to say about that. And there was a few different things on the list. But what I did is I went through it, and I picked out uh, the 10 things that were almost on every list of the fears that our, our world is facing today, the, the, the big fears of our world. So I'll give you um, these and you'll, you'll recognize all of them because we, we think about all of these things. I think the number one fear that we hear more about on news, besides COVID, COVID is more temporary, but the one, number one uh, fear that the world faces is global warming. And they, on, on the stats, recent surveys, they say 60% of our world, not just us, but our world, are worried or very worried about global warming. And then number two, all of the repercussions of global warming, if forest fires, we've had more and more forest fires here, especially on, on the west coast. Uh, we've had weather pattern changes, floods, and, and droughts that come because of the global warming happening. So that's probably the the number one and two things is the global warning and the, uh, the repercussions we've experienced all this year. It's, I mean, if we lived in Abbotsford or if we lived where the hurricanes have gone through or if we lived where some of the volcanoes have gone through, it would be, it would be very, very frightening. Number three, 
uh, social, social issues. Um, fentanyl and drugs, and we hear about the number of people, especially in, in the Vancouver area, that are dying from uh, fentanyl overdoses and from drugs in general. Uh, other social issues are discrimination. I, I don't think I ever remember in Canada that the, num the amount of discrimination that we've ex been experiencing lately, I think the, the, the news kind of exacerbates that, but people are worried about discrimination and crime related to that, and then crime in general. Do you notice that people are more miserable these days? And you're riding down the road and uh, they get hangry more easily. So I think those social issues would be number three. Number four is nuclear war. And if you've been following it, uh, there's just several countries now that have nuclear weapons. And if we had a war, it would be a very, nothing like anything we've ever experienced in World War I or World War II or any of the other more local wars. Uh, no, nuclear war could wipe out our, our, our nation, really. Uh, China's army is growing bigger and bigger and the nuclear weapons that they've amassed. Uh, Russia, uh, Iran, uh, nuclear, nuclear weapons. Four, four out of ten young adults now don't want to have children because they're so afraid of what's going to happen in the, in the wars of the future. Then we have number five, and I don't know if there's number five or number one, but the, the infection from coronavirus. I, I'm surprised how many, I mean, we have to be careful, obviously. We have to follow all of the health rules. That's our responsibility as citizens of our country to follow our government, to follow the rules. But there's a general fear of the coronavirus, Omicron, uh, the vaccine conspiracy, as if there were one, uh, a conspiracy, and somehow related to the mark of the beast, you get these exceptional people that believe it's a, it's a religious issue, not a medical issue. Uh, related to that, I think of chemical warfare and how easy it would be to take a virus and spread it throughout the world and so chemical warfare becomes, you're, you're gonna get more worried as I go through this, aren't you? Uh, that is quote around the world. Um, number six is poor government. I, I think we have, we have been blessed in Canada. Generally, we, we've been blessed and we, we thank God for our prime minister, our premier, MLAs, our MPs, our police force, all the government here. 65% uh, of the world are concerned about government, either corruption or misinformation or poor leadership. And number seven is uh, it's, uh, it's a general malaise of low self-esteem, that people are not liking themselves. They don't understand that we have been made in God's image and that we're God's creatures. I remember, I remember um, Pastor Terry, when, when he was our youth pastor years ago, he, he, he started a whole series, of course, and he bought a little book and he gave it to all the kids. And the book, the book was called Nobody Like Me. And in other words, I'm, I'm special. And it, it's based on Psalm 139.16, that God has created me uh, to be who I am. Nobody like me. And so one of the girls uh, came up to him one, one Friday night there having youth. And she said, oh, Pastor Terry, I forgot my book. Nobody likes me. Somehow she added an S on that. Rather, nobody liked me, nobody likes me. And uh, I think of all of the, the people that are worried about the number of likes we get on the internet. And our self-esteem is based off the internet 
rather than based on what God says we are. And then the number of suicides, especially young children. You have children that are 10, 12, 14 years old that are taking their lives because they feel like nobody likes them, don't understand. Uh, number eight is um, the black holes. The more you hear about these uh, phenomena in, in, the, in the atmosphere outside and, and these black holes are swallowing up planets and people have a fear, fear that the black holes are gonna suck us up one day. And then related to that is also cosmic impact. Uh, some, kind of a, some kind of an extraterrestrial thing would come and crash the earth. We hear these every once in a while. They're kind of flying through the sky and would literally decimate our earth. And number 10 is artificial intelligence. Uh, that they're gonna make robots that are smarter than me. That's not hard to do, but they're gonna make robots that are smarter than me and they, human beings will be taken over by these robots. And it's kind of funny when you watch them now, they're, they're working in hotel desks and welcoming people in and they're very friendly actually, these robots. And the robots will do anything up to a degree. It's nice if they kind of clean your house for you, but uh, if they're smarter than we are, we're in trouble. So that's the, that's the 10 things that people worry about most. If you didn't know that, now you've got something to worry about. Uh, that'll keep you going for a while. But we are, we are people of hope. Amen? We are people of hope. So three, three stories come to mind from the Bible. And of course, the first one is Christmas. And uh, if, if you think back to that time, it was 5 BC when Jesus was born. Again, our Julian calendar, the, 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 the priest who put our calendar together, uh, miscalculated Jesus' birth. And he's born about 5 BC. And during that time, they had not heard from God, no, pro no prophetic voices for 400 years. And they had, this, they had the prophecies. They knew that Jesus was coming. There was a, a hope, but not really an expectation that Jesus was coming. And there was a general darkness in the world at that time. The Roman government had taken over Israel. And uh, Israel were basically uh, tenants of Rome. They had to pay uh, taxes to Rome. And there's always these Roman soldiers riding around, keeping the peace there. And, and they did that. There was this Roman peace. Pastor Joel talked about that a couple of weeks ago, this Roman peace. But they didn't have freedom. And so there was a time of despair. And then when Jesus was born, and we all know the story, it's only a, a few shepherds, Mary and Joseph, of course, and a few shepherds. The angels were, of course, in the sky and announcing what was happening. Uh, the wise men that eventually came to see Jesus. And then when Jesus was taken to the temple at eight days old, they would take him this little journey from Bethlehem up to uh, Jerusalem where they took him before Simeon. And he, he said, and he said, this, this boy, this baby boy, this little seven pound crying baby is the promise of the consolation of Israel. He is gonna be a light to the Gentiles. But there's a very few people that really got, got it at that time when Jesus was born, that he is the hope, he is the hope. He's the one that all the Old Testament prophets for hundreds of years had said he's coming and he, he is our hope. And then I'm gonna skip ahead, and this, this is on your, your, your text, if you have your notes, to Mark 16. It's interesting to me that Pastor Joel and I have been going through Mark for this last several, several months, and this week and next week, our last two Sundays, and this week is about the resurrection of Jesus. I can't imagine a more hopeful story than the resurrection of Jesus. 
And, and then next week, we'll take the last few verses, which is the Great Commission. Now go, take, take what you've got, take this hope that you have, and go take it to the world around you. So we'll talk about that next, next Sunday. By the way, next Sunday we're back on regular time, 9.30 and 11.15. Okay, I'm going to read for you this. Honey, can you pass me that water? My, just that water there. Yeah. That, that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, follow along with me. Now, you got to remember, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I have just been, I do a morning Bible study every morning, uh, Monday to Friday. I've been doing it for two years since COVID started. And uh, if you haven't been following, if you follow somebody else, that's fine. But if you don't follow anybody else, follow me. And uh, so 15 minutes every day, you can listen to it anytime. And if you want to find what I've done, you can go to barrybuzzard.ca and uh, then it'll, it'll direct you to videos. And then go to YouTube, all the, the books, I've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I've done uh, all of Psalms, all the book of Revelation. And over the last, mm, I think it's about 220 days, I've been going through the life of Jesus chronologically. And so I'm just in this passage and I, I'm prepared a few days ahead because of the Christmas holiday. And I've been studying this very passage. It's just fascinating to me. Before the resurrection morning, before that Sunday, on the Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and, and Thursday night actually turns into Friday at 6 o'clock. So the, the Jewish day always begins at 6 o'clock. So that Friday night, Jesus gave some profound teachings so my devotions over these days, over this, this week and next week, uh, are on this, this subject. So it's become very real to me. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's had spent hours and hours and hours with them, telling exactly what's happening. He's explained to them, I'm going to die. And in three days, he said it exactly, in three days, I'm going to be resurrected and we're going to begin a new kingdom. He's, he's explained that over and over again to them. But when Jesus actually died, as far as we know, except for John, none of the disciples were around. We, we blame Judas, and of course Judas was, was guilty for betraying Jesus, and we blame Peter for denying Jesus, but all of them did it. And John was there at the cross with Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, but all the other disciples were gone. And if you can imagine them, during that time, during that week, he's spending time, a lot of time in the temple and the, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, they're all trying to find fault with him. And, and they know that there is a, a mark on his head and they're going to kill him. And the disciples feel if they kill Jesus, they're going to kill us too. And if you can imagine here in church and the, the police were standing outside the door ready to, to arrest us and crucify us, it would be a very fearsome thing. And that's what they were feeling. So uh, even though Jesus has explained very carefully that I'm going to rise, there's a, he's dead. He dies on the cross, and he's dead. As far as we know, only Mary Magdalene actually went to the grave, and Joseph of Arimathea took him to his grave, and only Mary Magdalene. These Marys are great girls. It's a good name. Even, even though the name Mary actually means bitter. 
And the reason Mary was called bitter is because her life was so bitter with Jesus. But the Marys in the Bible are kind of the model of Christ's likeness, and she followed him to the grave. But all the other disciples are gone. They're hiding because they think they're going to be arrested. So Saturday was a horrible day. It was a dark day of despair. So now Saturday ends at 6 o'clock. Sabbath, Sabbath ends. And they can't do much on Sabbath anyway. They had to kind of stay home. But then Sunday begins at 6 o'clock on Saturday. And early Sunday morning, here's, here's who's at the, at the grave. You're surprised that it's surprising that nobody else is there, really. But So we come to Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene's the girl that Jesus had cast seven demons out of. We don't know much more about her, but she was a devoted follower. Her life was transformed by Jesus. So she was there, and then Mary, the mother of James. James was one of the disciples. Not James and John, but there's another James. and that her, His mother's name was Mary also. And then Salome. Salome is a sister of Mary. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's the mother of James and John. So James and John are Jesus' cousins. So these three ladies are there to bring spices that they might go and anoint him. So he's been buried. At, we would bring flowers to the grave, but they would bring spices as the anointing hadn't been anointed yet. And they were going to go to the grave and anoint him. Of course, the body would smell, and they put this anointing on him. It's just kind of a, a blessing on him as he goes off to heaven. So they're there at the, the grave, and uh, very early, in verse number 2, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, so it's about 6 a.m., the sun rises there. And they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one, one another, as they're walking to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone? This huge stone. Mary had seen it before, and, and no women, most men could not move it. It would take several men to move the stone. So they said, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And they got there, and looking up, they saw, now this is the first glimpse of hope. They saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, if you've been there, you go in, you bend down, you kind of go inside, and the, the body's laid out on a, a rock slab. They went in the tomb, and they saw a young man, uh, that would be an angel, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, or really the word is they were astonished. What's going on here? And the young man, this angel, said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Now, to get this, imagine your mother, your father, or your grandparents have died, and now you go to visit them, and somebody says they are no longer dead. They're now alive. There's just the shock. It's, just, it's overwhelming to them. He is not here. Now, we know this is the foundation of all of our Christian faith that Jesus is risen. If if he's a dead God, then he's not much good to us. He was a good teacher, but not much good to us today. But if he's a risen savior, then there's hope for all of us. Now, remember that there is several Roman guards that were there. They would die. They would die to keep their guard. And and the disciples wouldn't steal the body. They wanted the body. They wanted the proof of Jesus' resurrection, so they wouldn't steal. So this this is wonderful books on on this subject, how we know for sure 
This is one of the great facts of history that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is not here. See the place where you laid him. So it's, it's empty, and of course the cloths are there. Now, verse 7, this is interesting to me. To these girls, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, is the first great commission. Now go. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why Peter? Well, because Peter was the one that had denied Jesus, and Jesus was very aware of that. He was in the courtyard uh, with them when Jesus was being uh, tried. So tell Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Again, Pastor Joel talked about this. Galilee means circuit. He's going to meet you in Galilee. He is alive. There's hope. He has not died. He's not stayed in the grave. He's alive. And he's going to meet you up in Galilee where that circuit is. Remember Gethsemane to Golgotha to Galilee. This is your calling. He's going to meet you up there. This is just it's blowing their minds. Blowing their minds. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and astonished with what they're hearing. They're trying to get this to their heads. It seized them, and they had nothing to say to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, after a little while, they, they talked together, and they decided that they would go and visit uh, John and, and Peter and tell them what had happened. The girls are just kind of getting it right now. Now, when the, they rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, it seems like Mary went back again by herself to the tomb to kind of check it out. And this is a, John tells a story. This is where Jesus actually met Jesus. She's the first one to see him. And uh, she thought it was the gardener because how could Jesus be there? And, and then he, I just love this passage. It says, Mary, and she knew it was Jesus. So she's really the first one to see Jesus. For whom, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. They're still in despair. But when they heard that he was alive, that he had been seen by her, they wouldn't believe it. So these disciples that Jesus had spent time, he had just back in John chapter, uh, where about John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. But they didn't believe it. Uh, Jesus came back later and he appeared to them, verse number 12, in another form. Two of them were together and they were walking in the country and they went back and told the rest, but they didn't believe him again. So there's these two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus. So this is, the, this is the hope that Jesus, our Savior, who died in our place, to all the sins of the world were pressed on him in Gethsemane. They were under that pressure. And then he went to the cross and he paid the price for all sin, for all humankind, for all time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's the hope. Now, uh, so I was doing my devotions and I, I want to skip back now a bit, one more story, and we'll come back to John chapter 14. John 14, it's, not, it's ahead in your Bibles, but it's back in, in time. Because this is where he's talking to them in the Last Supper just before he died. And I, uh, Max, Max was talking to me yesterday. And he said, Papa, what, did you, what, did you, what have you learned in those last couple of years? That's a good question to ask. And I thought, what have I learned in the last two years? I, I pretty well thought I knew everything, right? But as I'm studying through the Bible, every, every day I do this, I am finding, I've been reading the Bible all of my life. 
I've been reading the Bible and studying the Bible. It's been my life's work. But every time I read it, I discover something new. And so I told them that just this week, I was preparing for my devotions for, I think it's early in January. And I came to this passage in John chapter 14. And I spent a long time, several videos on this passage here. It's really worth listening to. And uh, we could start in, in chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And that wonderful whole passage. So we're in the, we're in the upper room at the Passover dinner. So this is now... Friday, so Friday starts at 6 o'clock on Thursday. And so from 6 o'clock into the evening, they're having these talks of John 13. He's washing their feet and John 14, John 15, John 16, and then John 17. And uh, Jesus, then, then he goes to the garden. They have their Passover and he has this teaching time. And then he goes to the garden of Gethsemane. And that's where the father places all the sins of the world on him. Obviously the most excruciating part of Jesus' death, all of my sins, all of your sins were put on Jesus, had never felt the sting of, of guilt before, suffered for all of our sins, sweat great drops of blood. Then around one o'clock in the morning, the police came with Judas and they captured him and then all the trial begins from one o'clock till early morning then finally the cross is in the morning at nine o'clock. So this is the night before, and we're in John chapter 14. Here's, here's what I was told Max I discovered. Let's start in verse number 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 14, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's, that's an amazing one. I'd love to talk about that, but we won't. Greater works than these will he do. Of course, Jesus had never traveled out of Galilee, just maybe across the Jordan River to Decapolis, but really that 80 mile stretch is all he'd ever lived. But after he dies, they're going into all the world. So much greater evangelism than Jesus ever did. More multiplied miracles because of so many people now filled with the Holy Spirit. And then of course it's continued throughout all the world and billions of people now have heard and received the message. So much greater works that you'll do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, you just can't ask for a new Mercedes, got to be in Jesus plans for you that I will do that the father may be glorified and the son if you ask anything in my name I, I will do it anything within the will of God that will glorify God the father ask for it and he will do it now here's this passage I, I saw verse 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments so love is not just an emotion. We all feel the emotion of love, and, and it's good. That's what God made, the emotion of love. But love is basically obedience. You're obeying God. That, that's how you show love, by obedience. We, the emotion is all fine. The, the words are all fine. But if I don't obey God, then obviously all my words are false. It, it's shown by our obedience. Verse 18 and 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, here's the word, the word helper, the third person in the Trinity. So we've had God the Father all through the Old Testament. We've had glimpses of Jesus has come down in those times, we call them theophanies, when Jesus would come down through the Old Testament. And we've had glimpses of the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament. 
Then Jesus was born in these last 30-something years, 35 years he's been alive, and they've seen the second person of the Godhead. Now they know he's God, he's resurrected from the dead. They, they didn't at this time, but they will in a, in a day or two. And now he's going to introduce the third person of the Trinity. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are God. We believe in a triune God, three in one. They're one God with three expressions, three essences. So he's going to introduce the Holy Spirit to us. We've really never met the Holy Spirit before this time. He said, I'm going to give you a helper. My Bible says helper. The old, uh, my King James was translated back in the 1600s, but, but even before that, in the 1400s, John Wycliffe translated the Bible, and he used the word, the, the word is parakletos. And, and the Greek word parakletos means um, like an advocate, a lawyer. If you're in trouble and you go to court, the one that stands beside you and helps you is your advocate, he's your parakletos. He's the one if a witness comes forward and says, no, no, Barry's a really good guy. He, he, he didn't do that crime. The one that in the witness stand, he stands up for you. That, that's the word parakletos. The one that's beside you. It's a wonderful word. But the old King James Bible and John Wycliffe translated the word, the word comforter. If you've memorized the Bible when you were young like I did, uh, he's introduced as the comforter. And in our English word, the comforter, Susan and I have a comforter on our bed. It's got some kind of down inside, and it's soft and fluffy, and, and it, it, it's kind of a, a nice warm blanket that keeps you warm in a cold night and, and comforts you, or you're watching TV and you put a soft blanket over your legs to keep you warm. That's how we think of a comforter, kind of a goose-down kind of a thing. And it's kind of a namby-pamby. keeps you warm and, and comfortable, but that's not a good definition. But that's not the, the word that was used back in John Wycliffe's time and King James English time. The word comforter is a different word. It means, it has the root, the word forte, forte. And the word forte means to make you brave. Isn't that a great word? To make you brave. It's quite different than the comforter that we put on our beds at night. So I'm going to give you one that is going to make you brave. Even though you're facing all kinds of opposition, he's talking to the disciples who are going to go through hell. And, and worried that they're going to lose their life. I'm going to bring somebody. He's going to stand beside you. And he's going to make you brave. Don't you want to be brave? Don't you want to be like one of the superheroes? I can handle it. So the word means, the word comforter, is to make you brave. And here's another translation. He will help you cope with life. Whatever comes to you... He's going to give you enough strength to cope. Isn't that great? I love that. I had never heard that before, but that's the actual definition of the word comforter. The one that makes you brave, the one that helps you cope with life. So he's telling these disciples that you're going to go through tremendous despair and it's going to seem like it's overwhelming, but I'm going to send you someone that's going to stand beside you and he's going to make you brave and you're going to be able to cope with whatever comes. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? You can stand up and shout if you want. That's great. I, I just, I love that. That's what I learned. So um, he's going to give you a helper, this third person, and he will be with you forever. He's not, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a certain period of time and then would leave again. 
He'd come upon for a certain occasion. David David would pray, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Well, because he would just come for a period, kill a lion, kill a bear, kill Goliath, whatever, and then the Holy Spirit would go. But in the New Testament, he's going to stay with you every day. I love that. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm an orphan. I have no mom and dad. Uh, so I, I understand orphans. It's a terrible life. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come to you yet in a little while. And the world will see me no more. But you'll see me. You'll see me. And of course, Jesus not only is going to give us the Holy Spirit, but he actually is coming back again. Because I live, you will also live. That's where that song comes from. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I am in you. I am here to make you brave, to help you cope with life. Amen? Amen. Okay, let me give you two verses, and then we'll sing a song. I read this verse in, in Lamentations. And you know Lamentations. It's, it's a, a lament. Jeremiah is one of the saddest guys. He had probably one of the hardest ministries of anybody in the Bible. He ministered for 50 years during that time when the Babylonians were coming in to conquer Israel, conquer Judah. And he, 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 God told him to stay there. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the others went to Babylon as captives. And there's just a remnant of old people and, and some... Uh, people that were not well physically, mentally, they were left in, just kind of the, the lower class of people were left in Jerusalem and Jeremiah had to stay with them. And he wrote this lamentation, he's crying, crying, crying over the loss of Jerusalem and the loss of the promise of Israel. And so he wrote this book called Lamentations. And right in the middle, in chapter three, he wrote this verse. It is good for a man or good for a person that should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man, good for a person, to hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Now, he, he never had a convert. As far as we know, he never had a convert. Maybe Baruch, his secretary, was saved. But he had no other converts in 50 years. Had a very dark and depressing life. But he says, we've got hope and we wait quietly for our salvation. And then Paul in uh, Romans chapter 15, and again, he's through very difficult times of Roman occupation. He wrote this wonderful blessing, which I'm going to give you as a blessing in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Can we read that together? Let's read it together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you in hope. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for you and then our worship team is going to come and sing another song. 
Well, Father, I, I, I don't feel that despair. We know that you've come. We know that you're here. We know that your helper, the paracletos, the comforter is here. We know that you make us brave. You, we, you, we know that you enable us to cope with whatever is thrown at us. And I, I, I recognize, Lord, that there are people that are going through difficult times. There's people that are going through difficult times of, of illness, uh, difficult times of uh, loss, maybe in family, maybe loss of job or income is not sufficient or wh wh whatever it is, Lord God. I, I know that there's people that are suffering in despair. But thank you, Lord, that we abound in hope. We abound in the hope of Jesus. You are the resurrected God that defeated death. And we know, Lord, that you are our salvation for all eternity. So no matter what the world throws at us, we will be brave in the Holy Spirit and we're able to cope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.